on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Always great to have Utica on board. Guess what, Utica? We'll tell you about this now. More details to come as the week progresses. You get your own show on Thursday. We love Utica so much. We are going to do a Thursday show exclusively for our friends in the Mohawk Valley. We've got a Mets game, a couple other things happening here on the Syracuse side. So for those of you that listen on ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, you get your own show on Thursday. So we're going to work on some guests and some fun things we're going to do for that show coming up. Some more details as the week goes along. You can listen on the ESPN app wherever you are. That's a great thing to download, to follow, and to bring with you wherever you you go. So download the app, hit the listen tab, find uh, ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Utica Rome if you prefer, and wherever you go, you can take us with you. Here's how you get in touch with the program today. 437-7644. You can always hit me on Twitter where the show never stops. Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, or the On the Block text line. Another terrific way to Fire off some hot takes to us. You got your face in your phone. You might as well do it anyway, right? That's hot. 288-0644 is the On the Block text line. Uh, we're guest-free today. Guest-free Monday. So feel free to join us. Uh, we were um, pretty much guest-free Friday with the noted exception, the big exception, of a conversation we had with Syracuse quarterback Rex Culpepper. If you missed that, please, please look up that interview, ESPNSyracuse.com. Look in the audio vault for the fact that Rex is just an impressive kid to hear his story, how he overcame cancer, getting back on the football field. You know, he compared ringing that bell when his cancer treatments were done and he is cured. It's not one of those things that they really have to kind of check. I mean, you know, with cancer, you always want to be careful, of course, but thankfully testicular cancer is one that has one of the highest cure rates. They know how to, you know, kind of go at it exactly. There's a plan. It's got a 96% cure rate. They found it when they needed to find it. They attacked it. They got after it. But it's still cancer, and it's still scary, and it's still something that people of Rex's age could go through. It's it's a common cancer that can affect, you know, anywhere, really any male, of course, but you could be 18 to 30 years old 
and not even be thinking about something like that, but quite often it can strike young people. So Rex had a great story to tell about that, getting back on the football field. He helped preview the upcoming season for us, what to expect from the Dino Babers offense in year three. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. So if you missed our chat with Rex Culpepper on Friday, I would encourage you at one point not only to find it on our website, we put it on our iTunes feed. If you subscribe to ESPN Syracuse, not only do we send you podcast versions of this show every day, but some of the bigger interviews like that that we do, uh, we put them on the iTunes feed. So please subscribe in iTunes or Google Play, by the way, to get the best. So a lot to get into, our usual hot takes, uh, a Monday tradition as well. We'll go on the blind side. Seth's got 10 questions. We will hear them all for the first time later in the show and answer them as best we can. I want to start, though, with a little golf. Not only did your boy find out this weekend that he can still play a little golf, I got the bug again. Because I wasn't playing as much golf as I was recently. And, you know, in, I wasn't playing as much golf recently as I was in, in, in prior years, is what I should say. You know, kids get older and things happen and life gets in the way and you just don't get out there as much. But I got a chance to play once again in the fantastic Alonzo Open, the 10th annual Alonzo Open, a great tournament put on by our buddy Nico Tamurian from CNY Central. It benefits the Shamrock Fund, which is a great charity to help out animals from Matt Mulcahy, also of CNY Central. Matt was also my partner this weekend. First time I had played golf with Matt. I've never really you know, disclose this on this radio program, but I have a deep man crush on Matt Mulcahy. Matt's the goods. Matt is a terrific broadcaster, a great guy. I've certainly talked to him, you know, off the air, and and, and the Alonzo Open is a place where we see each other every year. But, you know, media people, we kind of run into each other and, and have chats and stuff, but to have the pleasure to play 18 holes with him. By the way, we almost won the darn thing. We came this close to winning 73 from Mulcahy and Axe. Boom. Yeah, we were That's hot. on the golf course. So it was great to get out there and play in a great cause, and thanks to Nico for putting on such a great tournament. And in playing that tournament, I thought about Phil Mickelson. When we got back in, we're watching Phil Mickelson. We are watching Phil Mickelson do something that you would never think a golfer the status of Phil Mickelson would do at the U.S. Open. And by now you've seen it, and by now I'm sure you have a take on it, and I would love to hear it if you have it. By now you either care about it or, you know, think Phil Mickelson should, like, be put on the next spaceship to the moon and and never come back, like a one-way trip. I did get a lot of amusement from some of the overreactions to this, but playing golf on Saturday, in something that kind of sort of mattered, made me really think about this. So Matt and I almost won the Alonzo Open. Like, had I done that, even in just a friendly tournament, I mean, come on. It's just a friendly tournament, local tournament, we're raising money for charity. We get, you know, like, come on, you know, it's two-man best ball. Like, you know, you look at certain putts, that's good. You get mulligans on certain shots. This is by no means standards of the U.S. Open. But had I done the exact same thing that Phil Mickelson would do, knowing that we were in contention to win this thing, I should have been disqualified from winning even a local fun event with like 20 people in it. Phil Mickelson's at the U.S. Open. 
the most prestigious golf tournament that the USGA puts on, certainly one of the most prestigious golf tournaments in the world. And he put forth an interesting scenario. He knew what the penalty would be. He took the penalty. He had cashed out by now. He knew he couldn't win the thing. So he did that. Now, the rule says you can be disqualified and taken out of that tournament for something like that. It doesn't mean the USGA has to. What the USGA has to, and I don't want to get into the weeds on golf rules because they are just, you can you can get lost for hours on this. But I think the determination comes from, are you gaining a certain advantage by doing so? And the fact that Phil Mickelson was so far out of contention that they kind of made the determination that, well, you knew what the rule was, you took a 10 on the hole, we'll just move on here. What they fail to recognize in that case is what kind of media reaction will come from this. Because notice we've gotten this far in the conversation, and I have not even mentioned the name Brooks Kepka yet, a guy who just won back-to-back U.S. Opens. And it was a telling moment when the only other person on the planet that can have that conversation with him asks the question, and that's Curtis Strange, do you know what this means to win back-to-back U.S. Opens? That's a great story right there, that someone rose above the tough course conditions, which we'll get into here in a moment, and everything that the mental strain and the physical challenge that the U.S. Open is. That's Tiger Woods has never done it. Think about the list of names that have not done this. Brooks Kepka is on a very short list of people that have pulled this off, but it's the fill thing, and it's also the course conditions that take precedent. They completely underestimated how the wind would be on Saturday, so they tried to change the course to make it at least you know easier is not the right way to put it, but more fair on Sunday. And look, I've said this before. I'll say it again, and I am not somebody that is into S&M, But I enjoy watching golfers get punished. I enjoy the mental strain. I enjoy the look of anguish. I I enjoy when I see, yeah, take that, Ricky Fowler, 85. Because you also have golfers who almost shot a 62. They're all playing the same course. They just don't all handle it well. It's not to say that the USGA, you know, gets a little drunk on power from time to time. What we need to see, what the happy medium is, are you awarding the skill set of these players? You can still make it challenging. You you can still make it hard. You should. It's the U.S. freaking open here. But are you truly utilizing the skills of the players and making them break out every shot in their bag? Because the answer to that is somewhat yes. But when the conditions are so tough, and the greens are what they're... It's not the debacle that happened to Shinnecock in 2004, but it was a conversation again. There's the head of the USGA in the broadcast booth with Joe Buck and Paul Azinger having to explain this. And see, the thing is with the U.S. Open, they have years to plan this, figure it out. You can't plan the weather, but you can look at a forecast and anticipate as best you can how those conditions will affect the golf course. And the fact that you're on the golf course for, what is it, 12 hours a day, and that wind didn't come out of nowhere. There was a sense it would be windy. You've got to make those adjustments to it. You don't want to 
mess with the course while it's in play because they had to water the greens in 2004 if you don't have to. But when you're out there for 12 hours, you almost have no choice. to. So course conditions, Mickelson's play, and then you got a guy that, oh, by the way, just won back-to-back U.S. Opens. Now the problem with Brooks Kepka is watching paint dry on that wall across from me and listening to him talk are in a very tight competition for who's more boring. He doesn't have to be Mr. Personality. He doesn't have to be, say, Ian Poulter, who was just trashing the USGA all weekend on Twitter. I didn't really see some interviews with him, but I'm sure he was doing it there. I didn't see any of his media coverage, but I did see him on Twitter, and he was just ripping the USGA. But golfers are very uptight about these things, and again, everybody's playing the same conditions. Dude shot a 63 out there, too, so someone managed to find a way through it. So I feel like there's more attention on these things, and every little morsel of what can be considered controversy gets blown up in this day and age. But it was all there for us to see with Phil Mickelson. And see, here's the thing. Golf is in this interesting world where they're trying to adapt to a new generation. They're trying to adapt to not just millennials. It's easy to pick on millennials, but just this new generation we're in today of all age groups where things move faster playing 18 holes of golf and spending, you know, three and a half, four hours on a golf course may not sound like a fun thing for people to do because their patient level is down. And But golf is still a game of rule and etiquette and standards. No sport self-polices itself like golf does, which, again, technically Phil Mickelson did. But should he have DQ'd himself? If he was that far out of it, if he was just packing it in, literally quitting in a way because he told his playing partner, beef, my man beef. Basically, like, I don't even know what my score is. Just give me a 10. So then just pack it up and go home. But New York loves Phil. He's one of the most popular players on tour. And, you know, look, Phil Mickelson literally got away with insider trading. Phil Mickelson is one of those guys nothing sticks to. So Phil can do that. Tiger can do that. Maybe Jordan Spieth, maybe Rory McIlroy, maybe a couple other guys. But most of them can't. So we are in that situation where, well, How should that have been handled? Because it's one thing for the USGA to step in and do it. Golfers are supposed to punish themselves for things like that. Yes, he knew the penalty, but he should also know that you just don't do that at that level. You can do that on the golf course just messing around with your buddy. You maybe even could do that in the Alonzo Open and get away with it if you're in the right group. But I just don't like this message that it's okay in this scenario. Because you still have to have standards. You still it, It's different than when we talk about rules in football, right, and how rules are interpreted and referees that are tasked with making these calls. Well, the referees in golf, yes, there's a USGA and there are grounds officials, but the, the referees in golf are the players. They are supposed to ref themselves. Which, again, with Phil, and I'm going to go to the phones here in a moment, but with Phil, he, he did. He knew what the penalty was and he did it anyway. But should they have done more? Was the course too tough? And oh, by the way, a dude just won back-to-back U.S. Opens. That's pretty good. Let's see what you think. 437-7644, the phone number. We got lots more to come. Big SU recruiting news that we'll get into later in the show. I want to bring up the World Cup, the inevitable conversation I have every time the World Cup comes around. It's a little different this time because of social media. 
So we'll get into that a little bit. Lots to get to as we cruise through the afternoon, including hot takes on the blind side. I want to go to Eric and Fulton, though, at 437-7644. He's on the block. Eric, how you doing, bud? Good. How you doing, Brett? Doing great, man. What's cooking? Well, just a few questions on the USO one. I want to get your thoughts on Saturday. Sure. How, you know, the guys in the morning scored way better than the guys in the afternoon. Do you think they let the course get a little bit out of control on Saturday? And then as far as Phil goes, do you think he did that uh, intentionally knowing the rules or just out of frustration? Phil did that more out of frustration than knowing the rules, but he did know the rules. So it was one of those moments where, yes, he kind of packed it in. It was frustrating to see that putt going into, you know, no man's land. But Phil knows the rules, so it was kind of the combination of the two. But I think he did it more out of frustration than knowing the rules. So that kind of worked out for him in that sense. The course, it was almost two different courses, Eric, as you brought up. The guys that got out early versus the guys that got out in the afternoon. I brought that up a moment ago. When you're out there for 12 hours, right, you can't make the course exactly the same for everybody. But I don't think the players would be opposed to them, you know, working on the course as fairly as they can to even things out for the players that were there in the morning and the afternoon. The trick is the wind. Right, You can't control, like, the guys in the morning, if it's blowing 18 miles per hour versus the guys in the afternoon where it's, you know, it was it was worse. You can't control that, but you can control how the course, the greens in particular, are handled. So I think the USGA's got an interesting spot there. because And thanks for the call and the questions, Eric. Because in 2004, they were forced to do it. They had to water the greens because they were just so utterly ridiculous. And two, I think his name is Mike Davis, right, the head of the USGA. He admitted that they kind of blew it, that they did not anticipate what the wind would be on Saturday, which I find really interesting. They should have called my man Wayne Mahar and kept him in the loop because he certainly would have told them what was coming. They've got meteorologists, radar, the best of the best, years of planning, and nobody knew it was going to be windy on Saturday and how that could affect the course. I find that really interesting that the best people there couldn't figure that out. So maybe it was an un- unanticipated weather event. 437-7644. If you want to jump on board, good questions there from Eric. Let's take a break. We can talk more golf. Very interesting rule change coming, though, to an event that has become a part of our summers. And I love that this forum has become kind of an experimental ground to make, in this case, basketball, but there are other experimental grounds to make other sports better, which if there's something that I think sports in general, professional sports notably, does a pretty bad job of is evolving. So something we've all become fond of in the summer made a rule change today that I really like. We'll see if you like it, too. We'll talk about it next. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Great to have you here. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. That's the power of love. Hey, On the Block, presented by Burdick BMW. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Sit that fancy open and do the thing, baby. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hurt. Man, it's hot. How hot is 
sick. It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. All right, a couple things on the World Cup here. One. So Landon Donovan got himself in a little hot water here. The U.S., of course, is not in the World Cup, so... Sorry. Yep. Wait till 2022, maybe, potentially, if they don't botch that, too. See, the U.S. play the World Cup in the deserts of... Is it Qatar or Qatar? I don't know. I don't know how to say that country. We're going to have to know in four years, though. So as part of an ad campaign, Donovan has tweeted and appeared in television commercials saying, Vamos Mexico! And holding a scarf saying, my other team is Mexico. Several former U.S. national team players have criticized him and told fans not to root for one of the U.S.'s biggest rivals. So Donovan has had to clarify that support, saying, quote, as I follow up to my tweet yesterday, I want to better explain my participation in the sponsor I won't name World Cup campaign. To begin, my heart bleeds red, white, and blue and no one should ever question my allegiance to and support of U.S. soccer and its national teams. That being said, having grown up east of Los Angeles playing with Mexican teammates whose passion for football inspired me at a very young age, as well as recently with club, is it Leon or Leon? I don't know. So all these things I have to pronounce every four years. I always have a strong connection and respect for our neighbor. Since the U.S. MNT sadly is not participating in the World Cup, I am supportive of of our, now is this con, C-O-N-C-A-C-A-F. I don't know how you pronounce that, but there you go. Rivals, and would like to see them do well. If others disagree, that's their prerogative, but similar to how the U.S. Soccer Federation, the Canadian Soccer Association, and Federation Mexicana de Football joined together in the United Bid to bring the 2026 World Cup to North America, I believe in supporting each other and building bridges, not barriers. Oh, you stick to sports there, Landon Donovan. How dare you? So that's where he makes an interesting point here. The U.S., Canada, and Mexico had a joint bid to get the World Cup here in 2026. It worked. We have it. But when it comes to rooting for other countries, advertising for other countries, he's got a little bit of an asterisk there, right? Support for Mexican teammates, where he grew up. It's But... See, there's nothing wrong with a little patriotism here and there. And the optics, particularly in sports, of that, you can try and explain your way out of that. That's not something that I think people are going to take well. And I don't blame them for not taking it well. I get it. The U.S. isn't there. You just kind of have to swallow that pill. But to advertise and to be out there saying, hey, root for this team, I mean, I get that in a way. Like, if the U.S. isn't there, like, I'm rooting for Iceland, who, by the way, tied Argentina, which is pretty incredible that they were able to do that. But there's no rivalry there. There's no ill will. You pick a team that's easy to root for that doesn't conflict with your own team. It's like, just because I'm a Red Sox fan, it's me I'm going to root for the Yankees because we're in the good old American League or the AL East. You cannot find me a reason to root for them. U.S.-Mexico, and I am by no means an expert on this, but that rivalry is pretty intense. So convincing U.S. fans, even with your team not in it, to root for Mexico, you can separate the two. It's great that regionally and everything else, they came together to bring the World Cup here, but to root for Mexico, 
Yeah, I don't think so. The other thing about the World Cup. That's hot. This inevitably happens every time the World Cup comes around. I hate to shine a light on one boob on Twitter, but just a little advice to soccer fan out there. The general interest in your sport is never higher than it is now when the World Cup comes around. Now, the U.S. isn't in it this year, as I mentioned a time or two a moment ago, but people are still curious about the passion. They see the people rooting it on all over the world. Soccer has evolved. It's more popular than ever, particularly with you know the younger generations, not only millennials, but the generation below that. Kids have not only played soccer forever, but they now know about the Premier League and who the national stars are. And you're going to laugh, but video games like FIFA Soccer have ingrained that into our sports culture. That's great if you're at that level, but then there's people like me that kind of drop in as just sort of fair weather's not the right word, but you know, I'm intrigued by it. It's a great time of the year. There's not a lot going on. So you're like, what's the big deal with this World Cup then? Now I'm in the position where I'm also in the media. So I did a feature recently, which you'll see uh, this week, about Syracuse FC, which is a soccer team here in Syracuse that, you know what, I'm sure I just informed a big part of my audience that that even exists. And that's not a slight to them. That's just the way it is right now. They're kind of growing, and the soccer fans certainly know about them. There are people that do, but highlighting a team like that when the World Cup has everybody's attention, you would think would be a good thing, right? So, hey, if you're into this soccer thing, you don't have to just watch the World Cup. we got a team here in Syracuse who plays at OCC. Here's their schedule. Here's a couple players we talked to. Oh, cool. Maybe I'll check that out. But there's always inevitably somebody that gets at you because, well, where have you been? You only cover soccer when it's World Cup time. And apparently, like, they, and I admit my ignorance here. I don't know about the sport, nor do I pretend to. But apparently they missed out on their opportunity to make what is the equivalent of the playoffs in their league. And this person was upset with me because I wasn't covering their run to the playoffs. And I tried to politely explain on Twitter that not enough people know what you're talking about. That this is something that is a mass appeal kind of piece to introduce people to what you are. We're not getting in the weeds about the standings and the particulars of your run for, you know, whatever it is. And again, pardon me for not knowing that, but the playoff or, you know, whatever it is. That's great that you know that, but not enough people do. You're not mainstream enough. You're not, it's not like Syracuse basketball's run to March Madness that people follow with a, you know, a fever pitch and can break down Ken Palm ratings and all sorts of things about what's going to get them in the tournament. So my advice to soccer fan, and what I will say is, a vast majority of you do this, and I thank you for it. Be patient with us. Welcome us in. Explain things. Say, hey, I'm here if you need me, which there's a great fan group. They're called Central Union, which go to the FC games, and they, you know... Uh, I think they're involved in other things locally, and certainly you might see them at watch parties around town, watching soccer. They're passionate. Uh, my photographer who was at that game for Syracuse.com said they did not, there was not a moment in that game they were not supporting the team, yelling, chanting, passion, enthusiasm. I mean, true, you know, and hooligans is not the right word, right? But soccer fans just have this unique passion about 
So there are fans out there that get it and that are supportive and that will reach out to people like me that are like, hey, I'll, I'll check it out. It's World Cup time. But tell me how being snarky and being, you know, and giving me a lecture is going to help more people be aware of that team. Soccer doesn't need the pub itself. It's the world's most popular sport. It's at a level it's never been before. But when you take it a different angle on things to let people know about something else going on out there, let me say I appreciate those many more that reached out and said thank you. Thanks for letting people know about this. If you need anything, we're here. So, again, I hate to highlight that one guy, but it happens every time. And I just don't get the the entitlement that is there from soccer fans. It's a different kind of entitlement. They just kind of, you know, not all of you, certainly, but enough of you to notice, and social media can be negative generally itself. They just kind of look down their nose at you like, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, it must be a World Cup. Well, where were you? when England was playing Iceland and something that I've never heard of and wouldn't watch because it's not the World Cup. Well, I wasn't there because I'm not on your level as a fan. Sorry about that. That's hot. I don't want to watch the World Cup, though. Can you help me figure out what's going on here as opposed to being a jerk? Anyway, I ranted about that much longer than I wanted to, but I feel better. Uh, Let's see. Do we have time for a couple more hot takes here before we... Yes, we do. So... Not sticking to sports here, in a sense. But this was interesting to me. Because we're in this world where it used to be if you did these things, they either got you in trouble or it highlighted something about this person that would make you question their credibility on a number of things. But now we're in this kind of splintered world where people believe the ridiculous things that they believe, where Kyrie Irving's belief the earth is flat is actually discussed like it should be, and there's climate change deniers and all sorts of things out there. And, you know, I saw even some right-wing personality whose name I won't say that was saying these kids at the border that we're all hearing about and it's becoming a huge topic of discussion are child actors, right? Yeah, sure. Two-year-olds are child actors faking being separated from their parents. Okay, yeah, great. So here's what I'm getting at. So Mike Leach... Head coach at Washington State tweets out a YouTube video. It's an edited video of Barack Obama, right? And he tweets this. Listen to this. Text your thought. There's a lot of disagreement on government, so I think that an open discussion is always in order. Tweet me your thoughts. Maybe we all can learn something. Well, the video was clearly edited. It was clearly taken out of context. People sent him the actual speech that was made, the actual event it was at, like pointing out that what you put out, and this term has been co-opted, but what he put out was literally fake news. This is not true. It is edited together. It is not what you're intending to do. And he kept responding to people as if, like, okay, well, what does that mean? Denying that what he had been pointed out was, in fact, fake, was, in fact, not genuine. So Washington State put out a statement that said, thanks for your inquiry as a private citizen. Mike Leach is entitled to his personal opinions. Coach Leach's political views do not necessarily reflect the views of Washington State University students, faculty, and staff, which is fine. But he still represents you, and he's still sending out fake YouTube videos, literally fake news, and engaging people with it. The point being here, 
And if that was about Donald Trump, I would say the same thing, despite uh, where I lean politically in certain areas. Yay, democracy. I would say the same thing. If a coach that I maybe was on more in line with politically was sending out about Donald Trump. But we're in this world where people believe this stuff more and more. And fake news, edited videos, conspiracy theories becoming normal. I mean, it's just... We have to be smarter. We have to be more cognizant of this stuff. You've got to be skeptical of what you're seeing. Is it genuine, right? So for a coach, and the reason I bring this up is people trust coaches. People trust people in authority, right? They form allegiances to their favorite coaches of their favorite teams. And there are people that are not smart enough to differentiate stuff like this, that just take what certain people say is gospel. That's irresponsible for Mike Leach or any coach to put out there. It's, hey, look, you can get into free speech, and it's up to you to believe what's out there. But as somebody who is in the position he's in, if he wants to start a discussion and a civil discourse about what's going on in this world, that's great. That's fine. But why don't you put out something that's accurate to do it and not a fake edited video that doesn't represent at all what you're saying it does? It just further brings us down this wormhole we're in where fake is normal and everything is questioned and things should be questioned. But, you know, there's a lot of things in this world that should not fall in the category of being questioned, and that's one of them. And on that note, I'll break. We'll come back. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.